Christmas is coming, and it's time for children again. Wide-eyed wonders and whispered secrets, greens and wreaths, crushes and candles, cards at the door, carols in the air, snowflakes on hot chimneys, and questions parents can't answer. Why can't dogs laugh? Why is snow cold? Why is Jesus' birthday? Oh, let us old ones be like children again. So wrote theologian Robert Raines in the last segment of his poem, Christmas is Coming. I have a friend who was asked by her three-year-old daughter, Mommy, how many more naps till Christmas? For those of you with young children or grandchildren, or those of you who still need a nap, there are potentially only seven more naps till Christmas. The anticipation and excitement for young children in moving toward Christmas are tremendous. And for us, to put it more crassly, there are only seven more shopping days till Christmas. Why is it that for many, and especially children, Christmas is a time for asking, what's in it for me? And why is it that many parents feel pressed from overworrying, overworking, and overspending to make Christmas a single perfect day for their children? The media and our culture blitz our senses during the holiday season. I suspect the cruelest and loudest message of the season, found in newspapers, online, and on television, is to spend more, is to love more, and be more dearly loved. There was an article a while back entitled, The Me Christmas. The subtitle read, This holiday, realtors want you to put someone special at the top of your gift list, you. Now that's just too good a target for a preacher to miss out on. Call to mind Jesus' teaching to love your neighbor as yourself. There's an appropriate self-love that rescues us from a whole array of unpleasant experiences. But there is something about a me Christmas that flies in the face of what Bethlehem is all about. If Joseph and Mary had been in the me mode, they might have shaped a different Jesus. And if Paul had been in the me mode, he would have been a lampshade rather than a window to let the light of Christ shine through. The Jesus who said we should love ourselves is the same Jesus who said that we find ourselves in losing ourselves in the service of others, and that's the balance we seek and need. The our Christmas, that sounds about right to me. As I said last week, we need to put Jesus at the top of our lists, not ourselves. Well, in seven more days, the big day will be here. As the old saying goes, it'll be here before we know it, and then it will come and go just as quickly, and it will be a hindsight in memory. Packages will be torn through, toys played with, all in one big flurry of Christmas happening, and then it will be over, or will it? What is the real meaning of Christmas anyway? Michelle and I once stopped at a restaurant for an evening meal, 
and we, we were eating in one of those booths, you know, the booths that back up, you know, to each other. And so it's really easy to hear the conversation going on in the uh, booth right behind you. It's, you know, public eavesdropping, or for preachers, it's great sermon material. And there happened to be two young couples out on a date. They were probably in their early 20s, I don't know, college students, maybe it's hard to say. And anyway, one of the young women was talking about going to church, and she asked her date if he went to church. And he said, the last time was on Christmas Eve, and he was plastered drunk. Then the other woman asked, what do they call those things up in the front of the church sometimes? And one of the guys said, you mean a podium? She said, no, 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 those little figures that they put out at Christmas time. And there was dead silence. No one could say a crash or nativity scene. How sad that they couldn't identify that. But how even more sad are those who recognize and know what a manger scene is, but know not that Jesus died and lived and was born for them. So what is the meaning of Christmas if it's more than tinsel, candles, packages, and lights, and knowing that a bunch of cows, sheep, donkey, wise men, shepherd, Joseph, and Mary, and the baby Jesus in a manger is called a crash. In our 20 verses of Luke, which Cheryl read for us, we get a vivid sense of what it's all about. It's just that we've heard the story so many times that we sometimes don't hear it. Now, I know you're already way ahead of me. What does Christmas mean? Well, of course, it means the birth of Jesus. Well, of course, and of course, you're right. But Christmas is coming, and it keeps coming year after year after year. And it's easy for someone to respond with the rote response that the birth of Christ is what it's all about without really absorbing what it means here and now for us. So what does it mean For you to unwrap the layers and parts of yourself to catch the real meaning of Christmas amidst all the distractions you have going on in your life today. For I would like us to see with fresh eyes and an open heart on these seven days before Christmas so that we might be touched at new depths by the drama of heaven's, heaven's happening. Let's begin at verse 7. And she, Mary, gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in bands of cloth. And she laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. That's it. That's all we get to the physical description of Christ's birth. Such a simple and humble birth for God's own son, for God's own self. Heaven's, happen is the, heaven's happening is the incredible drama of God's becoming Fully, not sort of, but fully human. Poetess Elva McAllister gives a graphic description of heaven's happening. We can overthink this sometimes, but she puts it into such graphic terms. Hear it and sense it with your sense of smell and hearing and sight. Sweet infant trills the smiling choir. He sleeps on fragrant hay. And Christmas card, Madonna's smirk, all thoughts of pain away. How was it really when he came? Did Mary moan and scream and grind her teeth and ratch? 
before her star could gleam, before his star could gleam, its gleam above that inyard barn. He slept on fragrant hay, perhaps, but sheep and cows were not made then of plastic nor of styrofoam and paint. Half rotten straws and stinking wet manure were surely winter odors Joseph smelled. Not sweet new hay nor clover blossoms. No dainty crash had been prepared and kept detached from stench of urine mingled mud where ox feet stood, where ox teeth chewed or dribbled fodder. God did not come to antiseptic neatness, but to a winter's barnyard muck and filth. God always comes to things as they are, not to wished-for rearrangements of the facts. The beauty of heaven's happening, of Jesus' birth, can never be pictured on sentimental or gorgeous Christmas cards. The beauty is that he came as a common person without wealth or rank possessing. It is precisely in times of pain and tragedy that the promise of God's coming into the world means so much to us. Think of the tragedies. Think of the poverty and devastation in war-torn areas in third-world countries where people barely have enough to exist on, let alone any of the conveniences that we have. Or think about tragedy in your own life. Think about the loss of a loved one or the diminishment of a loved one or some kind of illness or accident. These pains become very real, and grief is so devastating that the superficiality of the season seems so fake. Christmas is not about what's in it for me and this superficiality, at least not in any kind of materialistic way. During Christmas, we who have truly sensed heaven's happening cannot be controlled by our culture or consumerism. Births always mean change. Just ask any young parent. This larger birth means change for all of us, for it is the ever-present offer of new life. Christmas is not about sentimentality and nostalgia and wanting to go back to Christmas's past, though admittedly the season can produce that. No, Christmas is about the incredible drama of God's presence, love, and light coming into a very dark world right now. For you see, as Christians, our values, our treatment of those around us, our quality of living, indeed our whole attitude towards life and death, ultimately come from what happened in a stable of an obscure inn. That's why with reverent imagination and humble hearts, we year by year look back to the birth of Christ so that his spirit and the drama of heaven's happening might be born anew in the unfolding drama of our lives. And what else do we see when we look back on that first Christmas? We see shepherds keeping watch in the darkness when suddenly the splendor of the Lord blazed all around them like a flood of spotlights filling the dark theater of our lives. And those shepherds heard a message of great joy and glad tidings. And the clue of the shepherds is to wait, to watch, to be alert and alive, and to listen. To listen. Carl Michelson, a Methodist minister and past professor at Drew University, was killed in a plane 
crash when he was headed to a speaking engagement in Cincinnati. But he shared an incident, a wonderful Christmas story in one of his books. Actually, it doesn't have anything to do with Christmas, and yet it's all about Christmas. Here's what he shared. I discovered how important listening is when I was at a pastor's school in Ocean Grove, New Jersey. My whole family had been invited, and we were together in one hotel room. In the shuffle of things, I lost my watch. One of those uh, old analog watches that his father had given him. That his father had given him. Now, I have to have my watch, he continued, to tell me when it's time to stop speaking. And I should be looking at mine, too. Um, It was buried under all the debris in the room. One room, whole family, two very active young children. And the more we looked, the harder it was to find. And at last, he said, I had one of the few brilliant ideas of my career. I said, stop, don't look, listen. And in a matter of moments, my son found my watch. Or should I say, the watch found him. The watch found him. That's the importance of listening. We never know what's there that will find us. That will find us. That really is the meaning of Christmas. For when we wait, look, and listen for Christ, it is Christ who strangely finds us. Heaven's happening when Christ is born in us. Hopefully we all long for the drama of God's presence and light in our lives, and the greatest Christmas present of all is simply there for the receiving to all who are open and accepting. The birth of Christ so long ago and even now produces light, and that light can lead to inexpressible joy. And yet this morning, there's a practical sense for many of us that after seven more naps, or seven more shopping days, it will be here quickly and then fade. But our faith draws us to a deeper realization that Christmas is where all true life begins. A friend of mine once told me he couldn't wait for Christmas to be over. And what I think he meant is he couldn't wait for all the commotion and commercialism of the Christmas crunch to be over. For Christmas is really never over. It's always just beginning. Christ's presence, love, and light, heaven's happening, is always being born in the drama of our lives when we are open. Well, you know, Christmas is coming, and we can't stop it, nor would we want to. And yes, a little child shall lead us. I close with the words of poet Lodine Brown Hathaway. Which path should I follow on this dark night? That which is right, that which is right. What should I wear? The distance is far. Go as you are, go as you are. What shall I say? My rank to attest? Silence is best, silence is best. But who will be there, riffraff or kings? Those whom love brings, those whom love brings. I don't understand. Are no guards standing by for a baby's cry, for a baby's cry? Then I shall not go. It's no great affair. God will be there. God will be there. It's all around us. It's within us. Don't you sense it? Don't you see it? 
heaven's happening.